Welcome to Wine Country Women with Michelle Mandreau, the podcast for wine enthusiasts who are curious not only about what goes in the bottle, but the remarkable women who make these distinctive winemaking regions so special. Each week, Michelle introduces you to a prominent woman and takes a peek inside her life. Welcome to today's Wine Country Women podcast. I'm Michelle Mandreau, and I am with Pam Starr, the co-owner and founding winemaker at Crocker and Starr in the darling town of St. Helena in the Napa Valley. Pam, I have pulled you away from harvest. You are literally... Stomping grapes just moments ago. Well, thank you for having me with you today. I'm really excited to share my stories with you, Michelle. Well, you've got a fascinating story, and I really appreciate you taking a few minutes out of what is a very busy time of the year for you. I haven't done a, a grape stomp in uh, since the first year I was in this business because barefoot it hurts. And so my team was all in boots and we just did a little team rosé stomping on Syrah. And uh, I wasn't going to get in, but, you know, I had to take a team photo. So I took my shoes off and washed my feet and got in. I'm like, okay, I'm in. We're ready to go. Yep. Lucille Ball all over. Where can people see that photo? Uh, we're going to have a social media at Crocker Star. Uh, both on Instagram and uh, Facebook. So uh, try not to laugh too hard. Well, I can't wait to see it. Well, let's dive into your career. You have a 40-year career in winemaking. You are a daughter of an orthopedic surgeon. You thought you were going to be a dentist. Yes. You went to UC Davis. You got one of the first degrees as a fermentation scientist. Yeah. And here you are at Crocker and Star. How did you get here? Tell Holy me hell, the story. that's a big gap, don't you think? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's pretty, I can do it pretty quickly, but it, and it, because it feels like 40 years has gone by with a blink. I graduated UC Davis, was studying to take the dental admissions test. Uh, I only had a fermentation degree because the girls in my sorority, Go Kappa Kappa Gamma, led me to that degree because it covered all the science and math for medicine. Nobody in my family drinks wine. My mom was a terrible cook, put ice cubes in everything. Dad didn't drink, so I figured that I would do some sort of medicine. While I was studying to take the test, I took my first internship at Sonoma Coutrere. Uh, This is 1984. It was uh, in construction. They didn't know what they were going to do, whether they were going to have a croquet court or a lawn tennis court. And I thought, well, wait a second. I didn't know anything about the wine business had to do with a croquet court or a lawn tennis. So I fell in big intrigue. I had so many questions. I would stand in the field with boys and I didn't speak boy. I didn't speak farmer. Guys were kicking tractor tires with their boots, and I'm thinking, I'm going to go on this ride, and I'm just going to hold on tight. And here we are, 40 years later. I never went to, I never took the test. I left that internship after eight months with my eyes wide open. I went back to school, did a little epidemiology and preventative medicine, just to be sure. I actually applied at Genentech when it was just a small company and and got a science lab job there, but I didn't take it because I took another internship in the wine business because I was so (laughs) curious. And that led me to one of the very first Shalom Wine Group wineries that had Cabernet grapes in it up in Sonoma called Carmenet, which doesn't really exist as it did back then. And uh, in the 80s, we did a ton of research and development. All the wineries shared. We were doing rootstock trials, seed extraction. We did fermentation trials. We did light stuck trials. It was it was so much fun. We formed, all of us from Davis, formed a, a group called the California Enological Research Association because we just felt like we could make better wine 
and compete world, worldwide on a, on a higher platform. So there we were, uh, research and development. Seven years later, I was ready for the moon. And I left uh, that job as the assistant winemaker and took the winemaking job at Spotswood, which is a lovely family-owned winery right here, uh, nestled in the cute town of St. Helena. And Mary Novak, uh, she has five kids and was just no bones. Let's just, you know, if we fall down, we get up, we dust ourselves off. And they entrusted me to find Sauvignon Blanc's grapes for them because we had pulled it from their vineyard and to uh, continue to craft great Cabernet Sauvignon for them. And that led me to follow a soils map from the northwest side of town because I was looking for vineyards for them for filling in their Sauvignon Blanc gap. Right. And in my search, I followed a map across from the northwest side to the southeast side of town and landed at this historic vineyard, which was um, a pre-prohibition winery called James Dowdell and Sons. And it was, it has fantastic, this property has fantastic history. Charlie Crocker, my business partner, bought the property in 1971. Um, he is a San Francisco icon. He comes from a wealth of history, including the uh, North Railroad, uh, the Big Four. Uh, and we're unlikely partners. <laughs> I found the property and his vineyard manager at the time came to see me and said, listen, I, I think you should, you know, talk to Charlie. And I said, I'm not going to start my own winery. I have no money. I'm just a lowly winemaker. And in the nineties, winemakers didn't make a lot of money. And so I got a call from Charlie a couple of weeks later saying, listen, I understand you want to buy grapes. And I said, no, but I understand you might want to start a winery. And he said, no, but come and see me. So funny enough, I put my best wine jeans on and went to the 25th floor of one post street, got out of the elevator and thought, okay, this is completely out of my league. I love science. I love math, but I do not know how to write a business plan. I do not know how to negotiate. That's, I'm just, what you see is what you get. Right. And, uh, in, in fact, it's a, it's a curse and a blessing that I'm just very straightforward. Uh, so Charlie came to greet me. And we spent three hours together. Oh, wow. We chatted about what we like, what we don't like, what he was interested in. He was very interested in medicine because before he went into uh, venture capitalism, he took over the bank for his dad, but he had gone to medical school. So I speak a little doctor because my father was a surgeon. Sure. So, you know, we, we learned how to speak doctor a little bit. And run after dad when we were on rounds as little girls. We'd run down the hall because he walked really quickly. Uh, and Charlie and I shook hands that day and said, "Listen, let's let's start let's start a winery." His job was to do all the things in the vineyard that I needed him to do. So the Crocker Vineyard was conventionally farmed. I needed it to be transitioned to organics. Or, I'm a huge believer that organic or sustainable, regenerative farming. We have a lot of words now. Uh, 40 years later, and we transitioned this conventional farming to 100% organic, although I can't say that because we're not certified. So we use the word sustainable. It took me about four, five years to transition our most famous Cabernet block called Stone Place. That's a, uh, those vines are 50 years old now. Oh, wow. And the grapes were used for commodity farming and 10 tons to the acre, feed it water, feed it fertilizer, sell it at 23 bricks, goodbye. No, no, no. Now we're going to make fancy wine, and we're going to try to extract the personality of this soil 
right into the wine and that's what we've done so here we are we've been partners this is our 27th har- harvest together what a success story it is actually it's crazy I, I, you know because he's comes from such a financial portfolio most people assume that he financed the winery however i wrote the business plan because I know how to translate grapes. I was very fortunate in the business to have companies share information like, this is how you make a spreadsheet. This is how you translate grapes into bottles. This is what your cost of goods are. Depletion reports, all of it. So it helped jumpstart you. Oh, it right. was it, fascinating. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, I'm never going to start a winery because the numbers don't make any sense whatsoever. Right. Uh, but uh, as I you know, jumped into the wine business, I couldn't help myself. So... I really like jumped way deep in when I started Crocker and Star. So who helped you along the way? Is there one or two people that you can speak to that maybe mentored you or? I don't know that it was one or two people. I feel like we had groups and I think the California Enological Research Association kept me motivated to uh, discover more about seed extraction and tannin involvement and coupling with anthocyanins and that led to wanting to make greater and better wines, not just doing science projects. So that was very, very mm-hmm. helpful. I feel like the business people at the Shalone Wine Group were very helpful. I understood more about the business aspect and the marketing. Those guys, I was, I was like a pet in the 80s. I was the only female in four wineries in the wine cellar. So at Carmenet, we didn't have, well, here's your enologist and here's your three cellar people Mm -hmm. and blah, blah, blah. No, we had a team of four. Everybody was a graduate of something. Some of them were even master's degrees. And uh, we all stacked barrels. We pulled hoses, did punch downs. I ended up doing more because I had a hunger. And so I took on the enologist role which led me to become the assistant winemaker, but I never stopped physically doing things. And that was great for me because uh, I didn't, I never took a pump apart before. And when I first got to the winery, that was the first job they gave me and they walked away. I'm like, okay, well, I read the book on uh, the uh, maintenance guide for dummies of Volkswagen (laughs) uh, repair and I can do this. Right. Yeah. So all, all of these are critical points for how my path, has ended up being very hands-on and creative forward. Can you speak to your style of winemaking? My style is really to extract a pinpoint on a map and capture those traits that end up in the grape in a fashion that is balanced, powerful, mostly delicious, and... When a wine is balanced, it ages really well. So I would say that approachability is an important factor, but ageability is a bonus. And none of the wines that we've produced so far in 27 years has fallen apart. They're all, they're all still alive. Fantastic. Top moment of your career so far? I would say that building our own winery, I was in Custom Crush and lying behind 20 other winemakers for 19 years. And I was about done. I I was like, I can't do this anymore. And it was in 2006 that Charlie and I started looking at, if we built a winery, where on this property could we build it? Well, we had, we're sitting in an area that was uh, a big 10 acre patch of Merlot that was sold to another winery. 
And I burned a hole in this patch. I'm like, you guys got to die. I mean, I know that we could do something better. Turns out when we scraped the land and we were going to replant, we didn't replant this area because it has a really bad hard pan. And instead of ripping up the earth, we decided that one day this would be a good site for a winery. Well, getting a winery permit is really hard. Mm -hmm. So we started the journey in 2006. uh, And we finally got our permit in 2014. Broke ground in 2015. And I would say... The highlight of the winemaking part of my career was opening the doors in 2016 and actually running our own facility. I I had to start all over. I was so conditioned to be in in a custom crush environment and fit into their mold that I realized opening the doors to a brand new facility unleashed a creative box that I had been locked in. I was... We've been doing more fun winemaking since 2016 than ever. Well, you're supposed to be having fun. (laughs) (laughs) It is fun. 40 years later, winemaking is fun. In 40 years, what are some of the biggest changes have you seen? So many. Well, in the 80s, we were, the the wine business was a pretty kind of farm uh, to table. uh, We weren't fancy. Right. I don't know really how to describe I, I have my harvest brain, uh, <laughs> a few words, um, but we were a bedroom community. Mm-hmm. People came, tasted for free. There was no marketing solicitation, no internet. Right. People didn't Google to find out where we were. We had to be written about. The written word was powerful and needed. So basically we were hand-to-hand combat with, with any customer that would hear us. We would invite groups, businesses, to come and see the winery and taste and hope that they would purchase. In the 90s, boy, life changed. We got through economics of big businesses sort of consolidating and eating up little businesses. And then the dot-com era blew open in the 90s. And all of a sudden, wineries were a fascinating investment for large companies, small companies, people with love of wine. Mm-hmm. Oh, wouldn't it be fun if I had a winery? Right. <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> Good eyeball. Vanity project. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there was it it blew open. Right. So 2000s were a very exciting time and so when I launched Crocker and Star, uh I looked around at the pricing and I launched Crocker and Star with 100 cases of Cabernet Franc. Now that's not what people do in a, from a marketing perspective, but Crocker and Star is founded on the, on the premise of, of a passion and a purpose and a place. Charlie is grapes and Pam is talent. And I wrote the business plan because I know how to translate that. However, I wish we'd had a third partner in the, in the beginning years who knew all about sales and marketing. That was a big stretch for me personally. And Charlie wasn't really interested because he was busy doing his investments. Mm -hmm. So uh, I mean, this is my life investment, and this was a fun project for him. Right. And it's turned out that he's really proud that we have evolved over the 27 years, and uh, we have a, a great partnership. How much wine do you make? We make 4,500 cases. Mm-hmm. I think we have seven different wines, maybe eight. And I've been trying to grow, but Mother Nature has prevented us from moving into uh, uh, a higher volume. There's a 80 acres of grapevines here at Crocker Vineyard, and we sell about 
of all the grapes are sold to other people. Okay. Uh, That's how we make the project work. Right. right? And the rest of it comes to Crocker and Star. Mother Nature has dropped our crop yield per acre, Mm -hmm. not first with drought and then with fires. And uh, hopefully this year, 2023, we will be back up to normal. I can tell you right now the Sauvignon Blanc is coming in at yields we used to see in the business in the 90s which was normal and the quality is great. So I'm just going to hold my breath until we get to the other side of November. Hidden gem in your portfolio. What is it? What's the wine that people might overlook, but they shouldn't. Most people know us for the Cabernet Franc and, and it's a go-to wine for people who are trying to discover great Franc. Right. Uh, I think, Sauvignon Blanc is a great variety that has led the general public to believe that Sauvignon Blanc has a flavor profile that cannot be trusted. And if you see a bottle of Crocker and Star Sauvignon Blanc, you should get it and just forget what you think you know about that grape Mm -hmm. and uh, be prepared for a delicious margarita sans salt and tequila. So Sauvignon Blanc is the hidden gem? I, I don't think it's really hidden. I just think that people overlook it because we make such great Cabernet Franc and Cabernet Sauvignon. We also make a Malbec. Um, Those, the Malbec and the the Estate Cap Franc are part of our club wines. You also make some bubbles. Well, okay. So the (laughs) bubble thing. Oh no, maybe (laughs) not anymore. No, no. Well, Crocker and Star turned 25 uh, a couple years ago and I thought it would be great if we could really pop a cork and we don't grow Chardonnay. We don't grow Pinot Noir. So I was very fortunate to partner with a winery down in Carneros. And they provided the base wine. And we did the blending. And we did the dosage. And they have all the equipment. And uh, I made a promise to myself back in the 80s that I would never do bubbles unless I did it with all the right equipment. Right. So sidebar conversation. Right. Uh, when we were kids in the business working for other wineries, a couple girl friends of mine and myself all in the business we decided we were going to make some bubbles. And so we made a little Pinot Noir Rosé, fermented it in bottles, and uh, we were about ready to, and we put the second fermentation in the bottle, and we miscalculated, and when we went to take the crown caps off and put the dosage in, we made bombs. We basically, the next oh, no, out, it was hilarious. <laughs> and we were like, okay, this is hilarious. We're never doing this again. <laughs> so uh, the bubbles is a little bit of a secret. Uh, we we were able to have a Blanc de Noir, a, a Brute, and then our uh, upcoming release is a Brute Rosé. And uh, our source is unfortunately drying up. And so we're looking at potentially starting this project from grapes forward. So to, to be... To be seen. determined. Yeah, yeah. Learn more about the women who live in wine country when you purchase one of our lifestyle books at winecountrywomen.com. Well, let's shift on to your personal life now, shall we? Sure. Okay. What town do you live in? I live in the town of Napa. Okay. How'd you choose Napa? Of all the places you could live in the valley. Right. I Well, I was working in St. Helena in the 80s, and I bought my very first... No, no. Let's see. When did I come? 91. I was working in Sonoma in the 80s, and a girlfriend of mine bought a house in Napa, even though I was working in Sonoma, in this little bedroom community with 1,035 square foot homes, and uh, they were pretty affordable. I think I bought the house for $113,000, and I was only making like, I don't know, $15 an hour, 
but uh, I had a little stock option. I sold that, bought the house, had had roommates, right. and that's how I got started living in Napa. Okay. And uh, when I moved over and started working for the Novak family, I was looking to buy my second house, and I thought, well, gosh, you know, I'm working in St. Helena. Maybe I'll live here. Well, being a single young woman, St. Helena is very small. Most mm. everybody's married, families. Uh, and it's small, so people know where your car is. So <laughs> the it's secret small. life of Pam Star <laughs> yeah. would have been disappeared. And so I found a really great home in an area called Browns Valley in Napa, and uh, the rest is history. Yeah. So if we took a step inside your home, what would we see? What's your decorating style? What's the predominant color? Do you got artwork on the walls? Michelle, where we're sitting is organic. We're sitting in an arbor. Mm-hmm. We're surrounded by beautiful plants. There's a stone facade of a of a tasting area behind us. Yes, it's we're all at the very winery. earthy, or yeah. wood, beautiful wood and barrels. So um, the house that I bought in Napa is I got married uh, to my fabulous husband in 2007. So we looked for a house together and ended up buying a piece of property in Browns Valley without a house on it. There was a house, but in the 2014 earthquake, oh no, uh, that house disappeared and the people who owned it decided not to rebuild. So we went on, my husband's a contractor and (laughs) and I've been designing things in my mind my whole life. I've always, so when I bought my first house, I redid my own kitchen. I just, you know, I started scratching at the surface and my dad, who was an orthopedic surgeon, he took items apart and rebuilt them and he had the girls help. So we had a taste of hammers and nails and screwdrivers and saws. Okay. So when we went to design the house, I wanted to have something that was made out of alternate materials and I wanted to do it so that we, the house would disappear and we just looked at the outside. So the house is very modern. Oh, and when you drive up to the home, you can see right through the front door to the back. You can see all of the view. I want to come to your house. Yeah, you should come (laughs) to the house. Uh, We built the house out of bamboo. Okay. There's a fabulous company doing, uh, alternate materials uh in windsor california just up here right. called bamcor and our architect knows the owners and our architect asked us if we wanted to go on a journey of alternate materials and i was like absolutely so i hope everybody looks up bamcor and uh considers doing something with bamboo because we got rid of all the sheetrock and the walls we didn't have to put in any sheetrock up we don't have any two by four framing so there's no degassing. We made a healthy house. Hmm. Uh, the house is run by 49 solar panels. And uh, the house is about 60% glass. Fascinating. It's super fascinating. It so needs to be an architectural digest. <laughs> I hope one day <laughs> when you walk into the great room, I had the plaster professionals create what I would envision would be a sandy beach the morning after the water and the wind had wiped across, wiped out all the footprints. And and they did a great job. It's really pretty. Oh my goodness. So the colors, there's limestone, white limestone. Right. The colors are sort of a sandy, warm, sandy gray. Uh, The... Is Jimmy Buffett playing in the background? Oh, Jimmy. Cheers to Jimmy Buffett. God rest his soul. Boy, what a, what an artist. Uh, But, and I do like Jimmy Buffett songs. 
Um, and there's uh, basically one big open room. It's it's a it's a beautiful home. It's, it sounds. I'm so intrigued, and it sounds just fantastic. Almost speechless. I don't know what to say next. <laughs> the color in the house really is on the floor. Okay. I found a beautiful old rug, and it has colors of bright yellow, blue, green. Uh, it's it's undescribable. It's like twenty five by sixteen feet, and uh, and you can see through this house. You can see through the house. Yeah, one gla- it's glass. It's a see through house. It's, it's a see through house. But we don't have a neighbor. We do, but you can't see the neighbors. Well, how do you take a shower? Well, I mean, we have private walls. Okay, good. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Just, I mean, you know, you could walk naked through the house, and if you don't care if the hot air balloons are looking at you, then, right. you know, which I'm sure my husband does when I'm not there. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of music do you like? I know you, I referenced Jimmy Buffett only because you talked about the sandy beaches. But right, sandy do, beach. What is your, your go-to music? Uh, it, morning time in the winery would be classic mm-hmm. and, uh, mid morning would turn into something that would be of the Fleetwood Mac genre, uh, or, uh, some of the Dua Lipa that's coming out. I mean, just something that mix it, mixes up. Okay. And at the end of the day, I think I mostly listen to my husband's music, which is modern country. Okay. And yeah, I like all kinds of music. I love John Pizzarelli. He's a fantastic jazz musician. When you have a dinner party, uh, how do you ensure its success? Well, it takes great people to make a great party. And I'm very fortunate to have fabulous friends. And uh, when you have fabulous friends, they have fabulous friends. Right. So we don't really have an issue with friends bringing friends that we don't know. Okay. And... I believe in planning. I'm a planner mm-hmm. and I visualize what the table will look like and how the food will be served and if people would w- want to participate and what that would look like in courses. And so it basically the wine is selected as after I select what we're having for dinner because I like to present seasonal food. And do you have a go-to dish that's always a crowd pleaser? Oh, yeah. My husband and I went on a... I, I took my husband on it. He was such a good person. Uh, I've always wanted to go deep sea fishing. And uh, three years ago, our veterinarian uh, said, you should come on this fishing trip we do. It, it was an eight-day fishing trip. That's a little bit long. I don't mind the four-day. But we left out of San Diego, and my husband and I caught 900 pounds of tuna. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> so he rushes- And you brought it all home? <laughs> we did. We had it processed. It processes out, is out at about 50%. And so we had to run home, buy a, a Sub-Zero freezer. And we've been fishing on four-day trips every year. So we're known for making pokey and, oh, and sushi. I love pokey. And so it's always, it's always served. Okay. Always. Yes. Fantastic. Is there something that you haven't shared already uh, that people might be surprised to learn about you? Are you a thrill seeker? Do you skydive, rappel down mountains? Uh, Did you do something crazy as a child? Tell me a secret. Oh, my goodness. Well, I had to ask my winemaker, Julie, (laughs) is there something that you were shocked to learn about me? Because I'm pretty adventurous. I'll Mm -hmm. do almost anything. I won't jump out of a plane. Right. I'll leave that to other people. Um, I like to ski. I like to water ski. I like mountain biking. I'm, I've been in sports, you know, now that I'm in my sixties, maybe I'm slowing some of those down. 
but I love to hike, all that stuff. So that's not really unusual for somebody who spends so much time outside or right. making wine or, uh, you know, crafting. And so Julie told me that she was surprised to learn that almost everything I do comes from the earth. And I had to ask her to explain that. And she said, well, for instance, Pam, your pickles. So I make pickles. They're fresh pickles. And I have to thank um, Chef Ashley Christensen for a great summer brine. Thank you, Ashley. Recipe. And, and so she said, well, Pam, you need, to grow, you need to grow your own cucumbers. So you're starting in the dirt. And then you bring it all the way through to the jarring system. And then you hand them out to everybody. And I thought to myself, you know, it's really true. I even designed our house. Like there was an empty piece of ground and what it, would it look like and what's the inside. So every, almost everything I do in my life, I'm connected to, to the, the earth. earth. That is fascinating observation of hers. It was really interesting. I didn't really, I, I didn't think that was that interesting. But if I think about it, it was a personal realization that pretty much everything I do does, does Come keep back me. to the earth. Yeah. Does keep me bright in the soil. You'll be evaluating your whole life now. Yes, I will be. <laughs> I'm sure you have done quite a bit of traveling. Is there a meaningful or memorable trip that you can tell us about? There was a meaningful trip, and it was the Shalon Wine Group that sent mm -hmm. me to France. I got to go in 1988, I think it was. I've never been across the pond. I, my parents didn't travel but to camp. They had four daughters, so we did everything on wheels. And... I was so excited. I had learned a little French in school and I ended up, there was another winemaker from another company who was being sent across to France. And so we traveled together and landed in Paris. It was just such a joy to be in another country and learn about another culture. But mostly the wine journey was fascinating. Uh, I drove a little 505 Peugeot oh, from gosh. Paris along the Loire down the West Coast into Bordeaux and met with fascinating winemakers, listening to their stories, learning about their finely aging and the botrytis and how they manage and how many times they pick and actually physically touching their wines in barrel. And I, I just, I had an epiphany when I went to uh, the right bank. I was in Saint-Emilion and uh, I was at Chateau Fijac, I think. And I also went to, uh, you know, the White Horse, Cheval Blanc, because you could back in that day. And tasting their Cabernet Franc, I was like, we don't make Cabernet Franc like this at home. This Cabernet Franc is amazing. It's got graphite and cardamom and blue fruit and it's silky at home in the 80s we made herbaceous weak it was the stepchild mm -hmm. some people were making some good franc but franc was not of interest as a as a finished wine so that stuck with me and then there I was how many years later I launched Crocker and Star with 100 cases of Cabernet Franc. And now yours is emulating yeah. <laughs> that yes. version. I'm very, I'm very honored that wine-loving communities consider Crocker and Star in the top Cabernet Francs produced here in Napa. That's fantastic. That should be a top moment. That was a, that was yeah, a top moment. For I'm, sure. I'm very proud of that. When it's all said and done, how do you want to be remembered? 
I would like to be remembered in the pot of innovators and doers. I believe that taking what I learned in the 80s and 90s and the early 2000s has evolved into the next evolution of creating a wine with a, a marketing sense from a from an authentic perspective of marketing. Trueness is, is who I am. And I believe that a grape is really wine. And that's the only thing that matters to that wine. And if we could just bring more authenticity to what we do and to the, into the public's eye, they would, the public would look, I think, more closely at what we produce as being good for you, drinkable now, drinkable later, shareable, and not be part of a, a beverage marketing scheme. So I'd like to be remembered in innovating by crafting wines that are grown in a regenerative farming sense and that nothing was impossible in my life and that I shared all of the opportunity that I was given with the next generation of winemakers. Well, we're going to wrap things up with five quick questions. Okay. <laughs> you ready? Yes. Okay. What kind of car do you drive? Audi. What's your favorite flower? Sunflower. Favorite holiday? Christmas. Who would be your dream dinner guest, living or dead? I'd love to have dinner with Jackie Onassis. Ooh, that's a good one. And what is your favorite city? The city that you can go back to again and again and again. New York. Okay. Pam, you are fantastic. And I can't thank you enough for your time today. Oh, Michelle, thank you. It was a pleasure sharing. Thank you. Visit winecountrywomen.com to join our exclusive list so you can be the first to learn about upcoming offers and events. Grab a glass and join us next week for a new edition of Wine Country Women.